Apple a day will keep doctor away. Again, it's offensive to medical professionals, but we were told that growing up, weren't we? That I don't know if it's true or not, but apples are good for you. Benjamin Franklin said, early to bed, early to rise, makes a, we'll be gender neutral, a person healthy, wealthy, and wise. I practiced for years late to bed, early to rise, which just results in burnout and fatigue and not doing things well eventually. Principle, I don't know if those are principles, those are good sayings to, to live by. This morning, I want us to look at three principles to live by. They're in Mark chapter 14, if you have your Bibles. If you don't have your Bibles, we'll have the scriptures on the screen. Principles are non-changing things. In other words, if it's really a principle, it's a principle today, it'll be a principle 2,000 years from now. And these three things we're going to see are things that Jesus practiced in his life and in the darkest hour imaginable, Jesus practiced these again. So these are three things. Listen, you need to get a hold of this morning and you need to live them out. Everything's going great with you. That's wonderful. You're building yourself up spiritually. If you live much longer, I promise you, you're going to have some dark times. And knowing these principles and living them out day in and day out, and especially when the bottom falls out, will help you to be successful, to come on the other side of the problems and issues successfully. Here's the first principle. It's the social principle. It's the social principle. It's, it's very interesting. Jesus Christ was a very social person. He was a people person. And part of his MO, part of the way he built his life up, Part of the way he did life always, a lot of the time, involved other people. Verse 32 through 34 is where we begin. They went to the place called Gethsemane. And Jesus said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. In verse 33, he took Peter, James, and John along with him. And he began to be deeply distressed and troubled. Two verbs used there to say Jesus' world was coming apart at the seams. Verse 34, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow. Look at this. To the point of death, stay here, he said, and keep watch with me. Okay, little background. They just taken the Lord's Supper. Now, we're going to do this reverse today. We're going to talk about this and then take the Lord's Supper. They did the Lord's Supper, and then all this happened. But they've had the Lord's Supper, and Judas leaves to go and do his bad, 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 eternally bad deed of betraying Jesus. But the other 11 disciples go with Jesus to the Garden of Gethsemane. This is one of their favorite places to go. Now, Gethsemane literally means an oil press or an olive vat. Uh, it was at the foot of the Mount of Olives. And to give you a little, a little picture, we've got a schematic that this was Jerusalem, the walls of Jerusalem in Jesus' day. It's, it's, very, it's, it's impossible for me to read some of that, but this is the temple right here, Okay. About three-fourths of a mile from the eastern wall right here was the Garden of Gethsemane. That's Gethsemane right there. It was at the foot of the Mount of Olives. It was a place where Jesus went a a lot. In fact, we have a picture, a modern picture, uh, of the Garden of Gethsemane. Now, it's interesting. Leave that up there for a minute, Brian. A lot of these trees are very, very, very old, and there's actually some debate whether those were the tr- some of the trees that were there when Jesus was going through this. Now, one Jewish historian, Josephus, said, 
when Titus, the Roman ruler, came in and conquered Jerusalem in A.D. 70, about 30 years later, 35 years later, he destroyed all the trees around Jerusalem, which would have meant this. But these are old, old trees. Doesn't that look like a great place to go get alone? Uh, I mean, it was, just, uh, it was a beautiful place, and it was a place, again, Jesus went to quite a bit. Okay, what's going on? Jesus is facing the worst time in his life, okay? He knows what's fixing to unfold. He's fixing to get arrested. He's innocent. He's going to get arrested. And then he's going to be beaten. He's going to be beaten worse than you and I can imagine being beaten. Then he's going to be crucified. And again, you know, we think about, oh, the cross is pretty. I got a cross. The cross is pretty and all. And, you know, and, and that, that is pretty right there, isn't it? But the cross in Jesus' day was not pretty. It was terrible. And to be crucified was the worst form of death. And he knew that this was coming. And he also knew the spiritual part of it that's impossible for us to grasp. That part of him being crucified was that all the sins that you have ever committed and I have ever committed, the sins of the world were going to be dumped on Jesus. You know how you feel? when you do something really rotten. I hope you feel really rotten when you do something rotten. All that junk was fixing to be dumped on Jesus. It was literally the worst time absolutely of his life. And he says, I am so full. I am so full of anxiety. I am so overwhelmed with sorrow and depression. Jesus said, I think I'm fixing to die. Now, folks, this is real important. Worrying is a sin, but, but when you have times in your life when you are overwhelmed with, uh, with life, you're overwhelmed with anxiety and pressure and tension, that is not a sin. And I don't know what you're going through today, but again, I, I, I say this. Some of you are going through some junk. You live much longer. Bad news is you'll go through junk. Jesus was going through junk. So bad that he wanted to die. Now, here's a very interesting tidbit. Why didn't Jesus just call a music leader and have a worship time? Uh, why didn't they just have an evangelistic crusade? Well, here's what Jesus did. At the worst time of his life, plus this is the pattern of his daily life, he got his closest friends together with him. Okay? He got his closest friends together with him. Here's what Jesus wanted in his darkest hour. He wanted, he wanted people who would pray for him, people who would love him, people who would listen to him, and people would have compassion. And I want to tell you something, and you men, you need to hear this because I'm speaking as one of you. We need other people. We need other people. In Genesis chapter 2, I mean, if you don't know anything about the Bible, you know Genesis is at the beginning, don't you? The Revelation's at the end, whatever's in between, but you know those two. Okay, in Genesis chapter 2, verse 18, God had just created Adam. Here's what he said. The Lord God said, it is not good for man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. And this is where God makes Eve. I had an elderly man in my first church. He said, preacher, God made woman here and God nor man have rested since. And, of course, I vehemently disagreed with him and thought that was a terrible thing to say. But uh, God saw from the very get-go that we need other people. And you're a man today here. I'll get on to you women in a moment. But you think, you think this, I am too cool for school. I don't need anybody. I don't need an ear to bend or, you know, I can ask them in Sunday school to pray for me in kind of a casual way. Man, you are absolutely tricking yourself. Isn't it neat? Probably doesn't fit some of you's idea of what spiritual is. 
But when Jesus was in his darkest hour, he wanted his friends around him. New York Times did a a massive 20-year study, and they studied people's relationships and friendships. And here's what they found. Over the last 20 years, just like 1990 to 2010, the average American has lost close friends. I mean, like in 1990, it was like we had three. Now it's like we have 1.7. Don't you like those statistics? I've got a couple of 0.7 friends, don't you? I mean, you know what I'm talking about there. And that our friendship base is shrinking. One out of four, one out of four said this, if I'm in a crisis, I do not have really anybody I could share my heart to. One out of four people. And, and, and that's true in this room this morning. There's people in this room today that if you got a terrible phone call this afternoon, you don't have anybody to call. You don't have, you don't have friends to lean on and to lean into. And I want to tell you, a man or a woman or a young person, you need people in your life. You need people in your life. You need friends. Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, all that, you know, there's some bad things to it. There's a lot of good things to it. But, you know, that's not really a friend. I mean, you need people you can reach out and touch. And I don't mean like the old commercial or in some weirdo way. I mean, you need people that you can live and do life with. That's what Jesus did in his darkest hour. Let me give you a second thought on this. This is part of what church is. If you're taking notes, write this down. In Luke chapter 4, verse 16, it says this, On the Sabbath day, that was the Jewish day of worship, Jesus went to the synagogue as was his custom. I've been reading a lot through Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John the last few months. Here's what it says over and over and over Jesus did on the church day. He went to church. It never says Jesus was tired, so he stayed in today. Jesus went Fishing. He may have gone fishing, but he went to the synagogue first. It never said Jesus had too much to do at the office, so he didn't go to church that day. It says over and over and over, Jesus went and was involved in the church. Listen, part of what we do here, now you've got to move past just coming. And just coming is great. I mean, I'm glad you're here. And I'd rather you come and sit in the back corner of wherever and be here every week than never come. But the whole idea is eventually to move into community with other people. In Hebrews 10, 24, and 25, listen to what it says. It says, And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. And the next verse says, And let us not give up meeting together. He's talking about church here, as some are already in the habit of doing. 30 years after Jesus had died and risen, people are already not going to church. But let us encourage one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. You need friends. Jesus, in his darkest hour, wanted his buddy near. You need what we have to offer as a church. That's a great place to find friends. You can find friends in a bar. I think you can find better friends in church. I really do. And let me give you a last thought on this friend thing. You need the right kind of friends. All of us have some wrong kind of friends, don't we? (laughs) Some of them we call family. Some of them are just people that you're around and you don't have any way of not being around them. But look in verse 33. He took Peter, James, and John along with him, and he began to be deeply distressed and troubled. Here was a pattern that we see at least three times in the Bible. When Jesus went up on the mountain and they saw Moses and Elijah when they healed a a Roman leader's daughter named Jarius. And here, Jesus had the the 12 that he was close to, but Peter, James, and John were his most intimate buddies. 
And they went to all the garden, all of them went to the garden of Gethsemane, but there was a point where Jesus said, you eight stay here. I need you three to go with me. And he pours his heart out more to them, and he shares with them. Listen, I want to tell you, you need some people who love God and who will love you. I, I mean, we ought to have friends who don't know God and are far from God. That's part of how we can help reach people who are far from God being their friends. But Jesus had an inner group of men who loved him, who were positive, and listen to this, would get in his face. Now, they were never right. One thing you got to give Peter, Peter was going to let you know what he was thinking, correct? I mean, we looked at a few weeks ago, Peter rebuked Jesus. He got in Jesus' grill and said, no, 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 you are wrong. And then Jesus said, guess what, buddy? I'm not. (laughs) But you have to admire that courage. You see, most of us, we want friends who are just going to tell us how great we are, how wonderful we are, and are never going to challenge us. And if they ever challenge us, we don't want to be their friends anymore, do we? Do you have people who love you, who can pray for you, who are going to be there for you in the darkest times of life? Do you have people who are making you better? By the way, are you making people better? I, I had a friend in Texas, pastored in two different places, I went to both of those churches where he pastored. They're a couple hundred miles apart. It's the strangest thing. In both communities, I met ladies who said this about him at different times. One of them said, you know, my pastor, he became friends with this leader in the community. It's a real small community. He became friends with him. He said, the pastor, this, it wasn't because he was a pastor. He's a good Christian guy. He made that guy better. That guy's language was better, his integrity was better, his character is better. The weird thing, a couple years later in another community, I met a lady, they didn't know each other, and she said, there's a guy in our community, pretty prominent. He's been foul-mouthed, he's been rough. He and the pastor got close, and you know what? He is a different person. We need people that will make us better. And if you don't think you need friends, I just go put, you think you got it better figured out than Jesus did. How do you have friends? One, pray for them. Uh, the honest to goodness truth, Jesus will answer that prayer. If you start praying, Jesus, send people in my life who will love me and I can love. He'll do it. Secondly, you know what mama told you growing up? To have a friend, be a friend. No one likes to initiate friendships with jerks. I mean, that's just the Greek word, jerk. No one likes to, right? And you want people to like you, and you want people to want to be your friend, it starts with being the right kind of person. People flock to Jesus, not because he had some, like in the old movies, some kind of glow about him, you know, and he walked like this, like he was a ghoul. They were attracted to Jesus because he was loving, he was dynamic, and he really cared about people. And I want to tell you, when the lights turn out for you, when, when the darkest hour comes for you, you need people. You need people around you who will love you and help you. Here's a second principle, and that's the God principle. Obviously, the foundational principle, but we're just going in the order that things unfold in the text. When Jesus, and by the way, again, this was his life pattern. This wasn't just something he did in the dark times, but he did this in the dark times. He got with others, and then he, he got alone with God. Now, folks, you get God at church, hopefully. And you can get God with other people. You should have friends where you can get God in your, your life. But you have got to get to a point at some time in your life where you start spending time where it's just you and God. Where it's just you and God. 
In verse 35, look what happened in the story. Going a little farther, Jesus asked Peter, James, and John to sit there and to pray. He fell to the ground and prayed that if it's possible, this hour might pass. You see, you see an intensity we can't imagine. Folks, he just didn't walk up to the altar and kneel, which is great. It was like Jesus started walking down the front, and he just fell on his face, prostrate before the Lord. And look in verse 36, man, you see some, some really interesting things. He says, Abba, Father, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me. Yet, God, not what I will, but what you will. The New Testament was originally written in Greek. Jesus probably was trilingual. He probably could read and speak Hebrew, Greek, and Aramaic. And this Abba here was an Aramaic word that literally meant daddy. I want you to picture this. Here's Jesus, the son of God, 100% God, but 100% man. His world is crashing on him. So much so, he said, I am at the point of death. And Luke, it tells this story, and it says, sweat was falling off him so thick and heavy, it looked like drops of blood. And he knew his friends, he needed him there, but he knew ultimately he had to take another step and go on out with God. And it says he fell on his face, and he didn't say, oh, God, oh, dear God, oh, God, oh, God. Have you ever heard someone pray in the King James? There's nothing wrong with that, if that's how you talk. I mean, if, like if you go to the grocery store, I'll have some milketh and breadeth. But, I, you know, growing up, that's how you were supposed to pray. I, I, I was, you know, in church where I grew up, people, you prayed in the King James. That was just reverend. Mm, yeah. That's not how Jesus prayed. He got on his face and he said, Daddy, it's falling apart down here. And by the way, if we can go any other route except this crucifixion, this beating, this being deserted by all my best friends, by having the sins of everybody in Ruston and everybody in Jerusalem and everybody in the world dumped on me, God, I'm calling out to you and I'm asking you, can we figure out another route to go? You've got to make God center of your life. You're not a Christian. That's what becoming a Christian is. It is making Jesus Christ the sinner and the Lord of your life. Many of us are Christians who have pulled away from that. Jesus needs to be Lord of your life, not you, not someone's opinion, not some preacher, not some teacher. But Jesus needs to be the ruler of your life. And then you've got to make a conscious decision, even its baby steps, it's going to be five minutes a day that you are going to get alone and you're going to spend time with God. There was a study done, and they asked people in America, how much time do you spend on God things a week? God things a week. I thought it was pretty interesting. At first, they said nine minutes a day. Oh, really? That's, you know, for the average person, I thought that's pretty good. And then I, I read the rest of the report. That included an hour on Sunday. And so what it averaged is, is if you went to a church for an hour on Sunday, of course, you're a Baptist, you go to church like nine hours on Sunday. But an hour on Sunday, how that played out was less than a minute the other six days a week. Folks, you can't get to know God in 30 seconds a day. In Matthew, it tells us clearly, Jesus went away once, twice, three times and prayed. The implication was every time he went, he spent an hour alone with the Father. You may be a long way from having a three-hour quiet time. That's okay. You're not Jesus. 
But you need to look at giving God 10 or 15 minutes a day. You know, you'll find out the more you'll plug yourself into God, the stronger and better you'll be in your life. Many of us in here know this is true, that if we don't spend time praying and reading our Bible, we're not the person that we need to be. There was a lady in Florida, this made a Christian magazine. She said that, you know, when I don't pray and I don't read my Bible, I lose my temper. I'm not as patient. I'm not as kind as I need to be. And she said one morning that she was making breakfast for her kids, and and the four-year-old boy spilled his milk, and she just flew all over him. And the little boy looked at her and said, Mama, you hadn't had much Jesus time today, have you? You see, Jesus begins to shape you and reshape you when you get along with when you get alone with him and you grind things out with him and you do life with him. And folks, as important as it is to have people, and and man, listen, don't blow that off. You need people. As important as it is to have people, the most important thing is you and you and God. Oswald Chambers was a great writer and a preacher. And he wrote one of the greatest selling devotional books of all time called My Utmost for His Highest. How many of you have heard of that book? Famous, great book. You need to read it if you never have. I'm paraphrasing something, he said, so I'm not going to get it correct. But he said this. He said, never try to settle between you and others what can only be settled between you and God. Let me explain what he was saying there. Some things in life, your husband or your wife, your best friend, your preacher, your youth minister, some things in life... The only person that you can get it ironed out with is God. I'll tell you a personal story. Before Cindy and I came here, we were in Texas, and, and uh, Andy Johnson was the chairman of the, the preacher committee that came to talk to me. And they came and talked to me. And it was over about three or four months, and then they asked me, would you like to come be the pastor here? And as I prayed about it, I talked to my friends. I talked to my best friend, my wife. I talked to other people. I, and, and, but I knew, ultimately, it had to be Settle between me and God. And I felt like God was saying no. So I called Andy up and I said no. He said, great, we really didn't want you anyway. He didn't say that. He called me back a few weeks later and he said, hey, we feel like you're our person. Would you pray about it a little longer? Now, I know what that means when you tell someone you'll pray. That's like when we ask you, will you teach a connection group class or work with the children? I'll pray about it, Pastor. That's almost a no, isn't it? But I told him I would, and, and, I, and I did mean it, I, I, half-heartedly, but I did. And I talked to my wife, and I talked to my friends, but ultimately, the decision had to be made in my closet with me and God. You see, ultimately, when Jesus was facing the worst things, he, could, he got and he needed help from his friends. Some of you don't think you need friends. You're cooler and better than Jesus. He got help from his friends, but ultimately he had to get alone with God. And that takes us to the third thing, and that's the surrender principle. And all these go together like a hand in a glove. Jesus had his friends. He got alone with God. And then ultimately he had to say to God, I'm going to do what you want me to do. Folks, surrender is so much about what Christianity is. You, You want to become a Christian today. It's surrendering your life to Christ. It's a faith surrender to Christ. As a Christian, you're constantly supposed to surrender your life to Christ. But let me tell you what's going to happen in your life and what happened in Jesus' life. There's going to be times when you're going to get down to a tough decision 
And you've got to surrender to whatever God's plans may be. I want to ask you to raise your hand, but I wonder this morning how many of you are facing a crisis or a tough decision. And you're weighing it out and you're praying and you're talking to other people. What Jesus had been doing. And you're talking to God and Jesus has been talking to God. And then finally Jesus said, I surrender. Let's look in these verses, verse 36. Father, he said, everything is possible for you. God, you can do anything. God, you can change the plans right now. Take this cup, the cup, the divine judgment and wrath of God. Take it from me. Yet, God, not what I will, not what I choose. God, ultimately not my desire, but God, what you choose and what your desire is. In verse 39, once more he went away and he prayed the same thing. In verse 41, returning the third time. And it tells us in Matthew, when he returned the third time, he had prayed the same thing again. See, Jesus got to the point where he had poured his heart out to God. He had poured his heart out to his friends. And it's uncomfortable for us. But Jesus said, God, if we can go another route, let's do it. And he didn't just settle it in a one-minute prayer. Okay, I surrender. Amen. After three hours of battling it out, he was finally able to come to a point of complete surrender. See, we don't like surrender, do we? If you watch any mixed martial arts, one of the, the ways you lose a fight is you tap out. Somebody squeezes your head until the, there's blood coming out of your ears or whatever, and then you finally, you tap out. And to tap out means you quit. It means you lose. It means that you give up. And in our culture, to tap out is to be a loser. It's to be a quitter. And, and, and again, I think men, we're worse. We've got pride. We've got arrogance. We got just a natural rebellious spirit. Go down to the nursery. You do not have to train people to be rebellious. (laughs) It's part of the package when you leave the hospital. And so we get to a point where God is, we're going to say, man, God, I really don't want to do that. So you know what? I'll give more to the church. God, I'll serve more. God, I'll go out and do good things for you. And God's saying, I want you to surrender your heart, your hardness, your rebellion. I want you to treat people differently. I want you to surrender. Oh, God, God, I'll praise you more. I'll sing more. I'll even go on mission trips. God, I'll do. God said, I want you to surrender. What Jesus had to ultimately do is he had to give up and say, God, whatever it is you want, I'm willing to go that route. That's what God's putting his finger on you this morning. Do you move or do you stay in rust? And do you switch jobs or you stay where you are? And don't, don't give phony, cheap things what God's leading me to do. Don't say that unless he is because, man, you're slandering God's name when you say that. You say, I don't know about this relationship. Are you willing to surrender it to God? I mean, your money, are you willing to surrender to God? See, that's what God's getting all of us to the point where he wants us to say, God, you know what? You actually do know better. You know why you don't surrender and I don't surrender? We're prideful, arrogant, rebellious, and we think we're smarter than God. Amen? It's got to be it. Philip Yancey, a great writer, said this, Jesus prayed 
that God would deliver him physically from what was fixing to happen, and God said no. Instead, what he gave him was the salvation of the world. You see, we're holding on. We're holding on because we want people to look at us in a certain way, or we've got our lives planned out and figured out. And God's saying, give up, surrender to me. I may leave you right where you are. I may not. But God's plan is so much bigger and better than we can ever imagine. We have a beautiful old hymn that says, I surrender all. All to Jesus, I surrender. I surrender all. You know, that's where the victory was won. Third time when Jesus got up, he saw Judas and the bad guys coming. From that point on, he was a cool customer. He didn't sweat. He didn't get upset. He said, let's get it done. Because he had surrendered it all to Jesus. You willing to do that today? Let's pray. If you're a Christian, I hope that you will take these three principles and plug them into your life. Whatever area God's putting his hand on you this morning that you need to surrender, I pray you will. If you're not a Christian, would you pray with me right where you're seated and just say, Jesus, I'm a sinner. And I want to turn from my sins. I accept that you're God's son and that you died and that you arose for me. Jesus, come into my heart this morning. Save me today. Okay, let me have your attention. We're going to stand. And I want to challenge you to respond to Christ. Maybe today God's leading you to join this church. One way you can do it is just ease out. Go ahead and stand up. I think I must have told you to. You come and join us this morning. Maybe you just ask Christ in your heart or you're ready to do that. You're ready to cross that line. You come down this morning. We'll help you with that decision. Christian, maybe you want to come and pray at the altar. Pray with a minister. Or where you're just standing, say to Jesus, Man, I want to do the things you did so I can have the life that you had. You respond now as Justin leads us. Just as